Ukraine takes on Russian military targets with the help of new weaponry supplied by the United States. It seems like from these initial reports, the Russian Air Force may have suffered its greatest losses since the start of this invasion. Plus, is Russia stirring up trouble with its Nordic neighbors? We have known all along that joining NATO while you are being a neighbor of Russia, it's not safe. It's not something you can take lightly. And later in the program, it's not just humans struggling to survive due to Russia's war on Ukraine. How volunteers are also helping four-legged residents as well. Today is Wednesday, October 18th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. Ukrainian officials said Wednesday a Russian missile attack in the city of Zaporizhia killed at least two people and wounded five others. President Volodymyr Zelensky said the missile hit a five-story residential building and destroyed eight apartments. I got an update with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. Russia's onslaught continues pretty much not letting up at all. The latest we've heard in the Zaporizhia region, missile strikes attacking civilian infrastructure. What exactly is the latest that you have from the ground there? of bad attacks um, happen over over the night again uh, in Ukraine and the worst one definitely Parisia. Unfortunately it was a hit at the residential building, at the multi-story residential building in Zaporizhia. Six missiles were launched by Russian forces on the city of Zaporizhia and President Zelensky also confirmed that the multi-story building uh, was one of the targets as well as civil infrastructure and civil areas uh, in the city. Uh, at this point we know that at least two people were killed as a result of this attack and four injured. However, these numbers might change. People remain under the rubble. What about the other attacks? Were they as significant? Another pretty bad attack happened in the Dnipropetrovsk region and particularly in the private sector of Dnipro region of the city of Dnipro. The mayor of the city uh, confirmed that there are at least eight buildings damaged and again, rescue operation is still ongoing as Ukrainian officials highlight that this is something very unfortunate that private areas, residential areas are targeted by these Russian missiles. And finally, another attack of the city of Kharkiv and this attack is also was targeting a residential area but particularly energy infrastructure. There are reports from the local uh, authorities that there is a problem with electricity now in the city of Kharkiv and again the rescue works and repair works are ongoing so we are waiting for the information coming in from Kharkiv if the situation is getting better. Thank you so much. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. Thank you. Russian President Vladimir Putin is dismissing the importance of a new U.S.-supplied weapon that Kyiv used to execute one of the most damaging attacks on the Kremlin's air assets since the start of the war. The United States quietly delivered the long-range Associated Press correspondent Julie Walker reports. President Biden had promised those missiles last month, and a U.S. official speaking on condition of anonymity says Ukraine has already begun using them for the first time. Their delivery gives the country a Critical ability to strike targets that are farther away. The delivery was shrouded in secrecy. The version of the Army tactical missile system sent to Ukraine carry cluster munitions, which, when fired, open in the air, releasing hundreds of bomblets rather than a single warhead. 
I'm Julie Walker. Meanwhile, Ukraine claims it used the missiles to destroy nine Russian helicopters as well as ammunition, an air defense system, and other assets at two airfields in Russia-occupied regions on Tuesday. I spoke with Doug Klain, policy analyst with Rosam for Ukraine, about a Pentagon program called Franken-Sam that's working to ensure Ukraine has the air defense weapons it needs and to understand more about these Attackum missiles. So Attackum's uh, long-range missiles these are weapons that advocates and Ukraine have been calling for almost since the early days of Russia's invasion. You know, some people are, are tracing the, the arguments over trying to get these to Ukraine back to uh, to April of 2022. Uh, so what these are are long-range missiles that can be fired from uh, the now famous HIMARS launchers that the U.S. provided to Ukraine last year. Those HIMARS launchers, they can usually shoot a, uh, a rocket up to maybe 10 or 20 miles away, whereas these missiles, which can be loaded into the same launchers, they can go up to about 200 miles away. So it is much longer range and they can carry much bigger bombs. So this is something that uh, experts have been calling for to be provided to Ukraine because it can help the Ukrainian forces to batter Russia's logistics, batter their supply lines, uh, you know, to try to sever the land bridge that connects Russia to occupied Crimea across Ukraine's southern coast and could help try to isolate the Crimean Peninsula to just batter these Russian forces, keep them from getting their supplies and make their occupation untenable. So the U.S. has now finally officially provided some of these missiles to Ukraine. It seems like what they have given are a shorter range variant that rather than carrying one big unitary bomb in it, carries hundreds of little bomblets that disperse out. And so that is still a, a great step and it's something that Ukraine absolutely needs. But I think the U.S. probably still needs to go further and deliver these longer-range variants to, to make sure that Russia's forces have no safe harbor. Well, it looks like Ukraine has had some success in the last 24 hours. Uh, it, it seems like from these initial reports, the Russian Air Force may have suffered its greatest losses since the start of this invasion, one of the worst days for the Russian Air Force in, in modern history. With a surprise attack, Ukraine launched these attackums missiles and took out it seems like at least nine Russian helicopters, some Russian missile launchers. They attacked airfields. It was a major coordinated strike in the dead of night that Ukraine launched. And this was the reason why it seems like the U.S., kept this supply of these missiles secret. Uh, you know, when President Zelensky visited Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago, there were some reports that President Biden had said, we are finally going to give you these missiles, but the White House did not confirm it. There was no real announcement. And there were some theories that, you know what, maybe they want to keep this secret to, you know, take the Russians by surprise. If they announced it and said, we're giving Ukraine these missiles, the Russians may have taken their equipment and moved it a bit farther back, tried to move it out of range. So by keeping it a surprise like this, they uh, they caught the Russians off guard. And you think this could possibly encourage other countries to send similar types of weapons? Yeah. So the Germans have a similar long-range missile called Taurus, and they have explicitly said, "Look, the Americans aren't sending their attackums missiles. We're not going to send our own Taurus missiles." And this has been somewhat similar to the whole debate over sending Ukraine tanks. Germany has a lot of its Leopard tanks, which would be quite good. In Ukraine, but they didn't want to send them and be the only one sending tanks. The U.S. wouldn't send its own Abrams tanks. And so what it finally took was the Brits sending their Challenger tanks from the U.K., which finally got the Americans to send their Abrams tanks, which finally
finally got the Germans to send their Leopard tanks. So hopefully in this case, you know, the U.S. has now provided its attackums, and that hopefully pressures Berlin to send its Taurus missiles. But all of this is a bit of a frustrating debate. We've seen now a great success with these attackums missiles for Ukraine, and they could have had these months ago. People have been calling for these missiles to be sent for a very long time. Ukraine's been asking for them for a very long time. And uh, if they had been provided perhaps before Ukraine launched its counteroffensive, you know, there's no silver bullet, but it could have been a, a really helpful tool to Ukrainian forces to maybe make this counteroffensive go just a bit farther. And the Pentagon is talking about a program called Frankensam that apparently cobbles together air defense weapons for Ukraine. What exactly is that all about? So this is one of the big problems that Ukraine faces. Russia has been launching wave after wave of air attacks using its missiles, using you know kamikaze drones that it gets from Iran, and it attacks Ukrainian cities, it attacks infrastructure. It was especially bad last winter when they tried to cut out the power and go after all the power generators, you know, to try to freeze Ukrainians to death in the in the dead of winter. And they're probably stockpiling stuff to try to do that again with more of these air raids. Uh, Ukraine is the biggest country in Europe. It's huge. And there quite literally just are not enough air defense systems to protect everything. And so the U.S. and Europe and Ukraine's partners around the world have been trying to figure out how can we get more air defense systems to guard more of Ukrainian airspace. There are plenty of different kinds of missiles out there, but unfortunately, a lot of these air defense missile launchers are made for a specific kind of missile. And, uh, you know, there, there may be a lot of one type of missile, but it doesn't work with the launcher that you have a lot of. And so this this Franken-SAM program, which was initially leaked out of some, some leaked documents from the U.S. earlier this year, but have now been formally confirmed, it's a program of trying to do a couple of things but essentially just taking different parts, different missiles, and making them work with other stuff. So the U.S. has helped cobble together different parts from around the world to create launchers that will fire a missile that the U.S. has called Sidewinder. Now, that is normally a missile that a fighter jet launches to take down another fighter jet. But now the U.S. is helping to cobble together these uh, ground-based launchers to take that missile and shoot it from the ground up. So, you know, Ukraine does not have a ton of fighter jets. And so this is a solution to that, to give them more of these kinds of missiles. There's another thing where Ukraine has a lot of these Soviet-era air defense launchers called Books, and they don't have enough ammo for them. So the U.S. has helped try to reconfigure them to fire a, a ship-launched missile called Sea Sparrow. We have a lot of these missiles, but traditionally they are launched from warships. Ukraine does not have a navy, so now we're reconfiguring the launchers that they do have to fire this other kind of missile. Fascinating stuff. Doug Klain, policy analyst for Razum Ukraine. We thank you so much for your insights. We appreciate it. Of course. Finnish police have launched a criminal investigation into the possible sabotage of an undersea gas pipeline between Finland and Estonia last week. Finnish authorities have ruled out an operational mishap, saying the damage resulted from, quote, external activity. As Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg noted, NATO is watching the investigation closely. Allies expressed strong solidarity with Estonia and Finland as they work to establish the facts. NATO and allies are sharing information uh, to support that effort. If this is proven to be a deliberate attack on critical infrastructure, it will be a serious incident. 
and it would uh, be met uh, by united and determined response. The head of the Finnish Security and Intelligence Service noted Finland's relationship with Russia has significantly deteriorated because of the Nordic country's membership into NATO and over sanctions related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Miroslava Gungadze talked about this brewing situation with Matty Pozio, journalist and chief editor at Lenin Media Oi. Finland says damage to an underwater natural gas pipeline with Estonia may have been deliberate and was probably caused by external activity. How much do we know at the moment and about this incident and its investigation? Currently, I'm sure there are quite many things that the authorities in Finland must know, but there is a calmness. I think the truth lays uh, below the surface pun may be intended here. It happened in the exclusive economic zone of Finland, so it's between two neighboring countries, Finland and Estonia. Finland recently joined NATO, and the president of Finland, Sauli Minister, has uh, repeatedly said that we need to be prepared for all sort of nastiness, like he put it, from, from Russia. So I think in the journalistic community, the discussion is about Russia, about security, but the authorities are keeping very calm, and the Finnish National Bureau of Investigation is, is investigating. You mentioned Russia. There is a suspicion that it could uh, have been Russian sabotage as a retribution for Finland joining NATO this year. And this is the first time in history of Finland that uh, Finland had to ask for consultations with NATO. How uh, the Finnish public and the government is handling it? The public is very calm. Even in today's radio news, I think this issue was not number one. It wasn't even covered very heavily. So everyone is waiting for the results of the investigation. And we have known all along that joining NATO while you are being a neighbor of Russia, it's not safe. It's not something you can take lightly. So we are the great power of preparedness, as the Prime Minister Petteri Orpo said, and I think we are prepared. Finland had a formidable military even before joining NATO. And now this is actually the first time that Finland and the allies in NATO are communicating about what happened and if it would just be an accident of some kind of course NATO would not be in it and and the Finnish president would not be talking about it together with NATO so as journalists we already I think jumped to the conclusions pretty much that Russia must be involved and also there is a, an interesting theory now circulating in the media there is in Finland based in Helsinki there is a center of excellency for countering hybrid threats it's launched by nine participating countries includes 34 now with NATO and the EU. And Jukka Savolainen, one of the directors of this hybrid center, said that it seemed likely that something like an anchor might have ripped open the side of the gas pipeline. But uh, I think this might be just something to buy some time for the investigations, and then they would actually come out with whatever is the truth. And uh, from the very beginning, Finland has been treating this as an external occurrence, uh, not something that just happened. And of course, we remember that only one year ago, in September uh, last year, explosions happened between Sweden and Denmark. So a whole lot of coincidences there. Uh, and also we, my land and media newspapers carried an interview with a Finnish uh, sea captain and, and educator of seamen, uh, Magnus Wimberg, uh, and he said that it's, uh, it's a very strange explanation that an anchor might have ripped open a gas pipeline, which is actually, it's uh, covered with safety layers and then it would be completely crazy to lay an anchor there in this exact spot in a very, very stormy weather, which we had also last weekend. 
So far, public statements uh, from Helsinki have carefully avoided directing blame at Moscow. Do they give the timeline when uh, the investigation will be over and uh, when the public would know more? Uh, they don't, but I'm sure it's going to be rather swift. And what you must understand is that only 5% of Finland's energy consumption is uh, coming from natural gas. So this doesn't have almost any impact on the Finnish uh, energy safety or consumption. Finland has already invested heavily to five nuclear reactors. And, and if we have some vulnerabilities, if we have them in, in the energy grid, then they are placed on the western side of the country. So this doesn't have much of an impact on Finnish economy or energy or consumers. But this is huge politically, safety-wise. And of course, if Russia has attacked Finnish exclusive economic zone in waters, there must be some sort of retaliation. There must be something done. And this is the first time we are considering it together with NATO allies. And Finland actually is now this year much, much safer and stronger in our energy situation even than, than last winter. So this is not a matter of energy for us. This is a matter of policy, politics, dealing with Russia. And I think pretty much all the connections with, with Russia now are completely off. So we'll see what happens. But I'm quite confident that this will be investigated and we will hear we will hear the results because the pressure really is on for Prime Minister Orpo and also the Estonian government to, to deal with this publicly. Matti Posio, journalist and chief editor at Lenin Media Oi, speaking with VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Miroslava Gungadze. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Fresh details are emerging about the explosions that killed more than 50 Ukrainian prisoners of war at a Russian-operated prison in eastern Ukraine in July of last year. As Lija Bakaletz reports from Warsaw, Ukrainian activists are presenting eyewitness accounts at the Human Dimension Conference on what they're calling the Olenivka Massacre. Svetlana Solonska is the widow of an Azov regiment officer named Vladislav. She last heard from him on July 26, 2022, three days before the explosions. There was a short message from him. He wrote, I kiss you, hug you, I'm waiting to meet you. Solonska's husband helped to defend Mariupol at the beginning of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. In May 2022, he and other Azov regiment soldiers were ordered to surrender. Russians transported them to the penal colony in the Russian-controlled town of Olenivka near Donetsk in eastern Ukraine. On the 27th or 28th, I saw a Russian TV video that was shot in Olenivka, and I saw my husband there. On the night of July 29th, explosions ripped through the building, destroying the barracks where Salonska later discovered that her husband had been. There were 193 people in the barracks. More than 50, we don't even know the exact number, died. The Ukrainian Media Initiative for Human Rights started its own investigation immediately after the tragedy. Activists found and interviewed eyewitnesses, most of them soldiers who were in the barracks and later released from captivity. We interviewed up to 10 soldiers and two Ukrainian medics who provided first aid that day. Also, we have testimony from an Azov soldier who was ordered to clean up the bodies from the barracks the next day. These testimonies are the only way to form an evidence base, activists say. 
Neither independent experts nor Ukrainian officials had the opportunity to inspect the scene. Russia didn't allow it. So evidence from eyewitnesses becomes more critical because no other evidence is left. Ukrainian officials accuse Russia of committing a war crime at Alenivka. Russian officials claim the explosions were caused by a Ukrainian missile strike by a HIMARS rocket. A UN analysis has since discounted that possibility. The exact cause of the explosion is impossible to determine without having access to the site and an investigation on the ground. But activists say they can substantiate claims that Ukrainian prisoners at Alenivka were the victims of Russian war crimes, including inadequate feeding, improper isolation from relatives and outside agencies, and reports of torture. Solonska holds Russia responsible for her husband's death. She said he lost a large amount of blood while waiting for help. His comrade who was with him that night told me later that my husband was badly injured. They had to wait until morning for prison workers to take him to the hospital. Activists say Olenivka prison, notorious for reports of torture that went on there, is no longer operating. All prisoners of war have been transferred to other facilities either in Russian-occupied regions of Ukraine or to Russia. The exact locations of Ukrainian captured soldiers from Olenivka penal colony are unknown. Lesia Bakales for VOA News, Warsaw. U.S. volunteer Shauna Offenkamp is busy around the clock. She brings animals that have been rescued from bombed Ukrainian cities to Washington, D.C. Some of the animals were left behind when their owners evacuated and are now looking for new loving families in America. Maria Ulyanovska has the story narrated by Anna Rice. American Shanna Offenkamp's mission is to find cats that ended up in the street as a result of the war in Ukraine and take them to the U.S. for adoption. Camp has already rescued more than 50 animals and adopted two cats from Ukraine herself. There were people going into Ukraine in the middle of a war to help animals. And to me, I wanted to be a part of that as someone who has experience with the region, speak a little Russian, and just have the passion for the cats, I wanted to, to see what I could do. Camp reached out to the British organization Breaking the Chains, a group of veterans who rescue animals in war zones. There were dogs with gunshot wounds. There were animals with burns from phosphorus bombs. Working with a shelter in central Ukraine, Camp offered to take animals from there to the United States. All the rescue and transportation costs are funded by private donations. It really is people sending us $20, $50, $100. It costs about $600 to transport one cat from Ukraine to the U.S. It is expensive, um, the transport funds to bring those animals here that we can to be rehomed, but they're otherwise just going to sit in that shelter. Here at a cat cafe in Washington called Crumbs and Whiskers, three cats that Shanna brought from Ukraine, Pushinka, Jessica and Princessa, are waiting for their adoptions to be finalized. She has the funniest face. So this is Pushinka. She is a cute little girl. They found her in hair salon on the street, and so they picked her up and brought her into the shelter. She'll be going home tonight. She is just so sweet, so cute, comes right up, sits in your laps, plays with toys, loves being held. Nina Cardillo has Ukrainian ancestry. When she heard about what Offenkamp was doing, she didn't hesitate to take home this rescue named Stasi. That's hard 
heartbreaking that people of Ukraine just not, not just leave their homes behind, but either voluntarily have to give up their pets or have to leave them behind because they, they simply can't stay. Now in her new American home, Cardillo says Stasi has taken charge of the new owner's dog and three teenage kids and won the hearts of the entire family. For Maria Ulyanovska in Washington, NRI's VOA News. And that'll do it for us today. But stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world, 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Bozette, D.C.